Welcome to the Principle of Hospitality podcast. Thanks so much for listening along. Mama Cita has been showcasing Mexican-inspired flavors with a variety of artisanal agave spirits since 2010. The loud and bustling atmosphere curated playlist has made it a Melbourne institution perched high on Collins Street since opening. They've also done a collaboration with Three Blue Ducks where they've matched six dishes with six of their favorite surf breaks for the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. It's actually been one of my favorite venues since I've moved to Melbourne, so it's great to chat with Matt Lane, the founder of Mama Cita. Hey Matt, how are you? Very well, how are you going Sean? I am fantastic. Excellent. It's fantastic to catch up with you today to sort of learn a bit more about your last couple of weeks since we've been speaking about your journey and um, look, I've just been super excited to have this conversation today, so I really appreciate your time. So... You know, Mama Cita is an institution in, in Victoria and in Melbourne um, and really started a lot of the, the restaurant scene that we see now in Melbourne uh, way back in 2010. Do you want to talk about how it got to a point where you started Mama Cita and, and why you did actually start the brand? Yeah, absolutely, Sean. So, um, look, prior to Mama Cita, I'd been living in New York City running uh, a Mexican restaurant there called La Esquina. Um, and La Esquina was, I guess, um, one of the first sort of really modern Mexican restaurants in New York City to launch. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, there was probably, you know, there was there was sort of Mexican groceries and whatnot, but there wasn't like a, a flagship Mexican restaurant mm-hmm. in New York City doing like a modern interpretation. So, yeah, right. Um, when I started there, that place had been going for probably about eight months and a bit like Mama said, it opened up and it just exploded. It went nuts. Yes. Um, so I, I was very fortunate to land a managerial role there. Yes. Um, and prior to that, I didn't know anything about Mexican food. My knowledge of Mexican food was like most Albanians, I guess, which was based on Taco Bell and whatnot. <laughs> um, so I got there and very um, had a very steep learning curve and a quick introduction to um, not only a type of cuisine that I didn't really know much about that actually blew me away. Yes. But also from, I guess, from a managerial perspective, I'm as much, uh, I was, I'm as interested in, in Bev as much as I am in food. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so the whole tequila, mezcal, agave sort of distillate range mm-hmm. blew my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, I'd come from, uh, just prior to that, I'd been living in uh, Barcelona. Um, and, wow. then, and then prior to that, had been in you know, Australia for, for all my life, really. Um, yeah. And, you know, I was used to making cocktails out of vodka and bourbon and scotch and, <laughs> and all these sort of standard spirits that we all know and love so well. But yep. to go there uh, and tequila I didn't love. You know, I think I had an experience like most where mm-hmm. I had drunk some really bad quality tequila <laughs> when I was 14 years old. Yes. Uh, uh, as we know, it was the, it's the spirit that can keep on giving. And <laughs> <laughs> it certainly does, doesn't it? Um, so I'd had a bad experience with tequila in my very early, early years and, yeah. and even just the sniff of it used to put me off. Um, <laughs> and then I landed at this restaurant in New York City that had over 100 different types of tequila and mezcals. And, wow. um, you know, I, I didn't even realise that there was a thing called, um, you know, like 100% agave tequila. Yes. I, I, I didn't realise that that was even a concept. So, um, yeah, I quickly learned a lot about all that and it just blew my mind. Yeah. Um, and I went into it head first and, and just really soaked it up. So, yeah, so I spent a, a few years living in New York City doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that time I also got to sp- uh, spend a fair bit of time in Mexico City, which was great because I got wow. to go there and buy tequila and mezcal for the company quite a bit. Right. Um, and then in 2009 I came back – um, literally for a couple of weeks holiday. Okay. Um, so I had no intention of staying back in Melbourne. I still had a, an apartment set up in New York City with that I shared with a, another really good mate of mine mm-hmm. um, who was a, an American guy and got back here and um, got some news that my mum wasn't too well. So okay. um, 
put sort of my return trip on hold for a bit. Okay. Uh, at that point, Andrew McConnell had just opened up yep. Cumulus mm-hmm. um, and I'd worked with Andrew before at Circa and one of the, the, the main manager at Cumulus, Madeline Morgan, is an mm-hmm. old mate. So she said, you know, why are you here? Why don't you come and work at Cumulus for a bit? So I went and worked there for a little bit um, and then got offered to do this consultancy gig at a place called the Recording Music, uh, the Recording Music Studio, um, which was it, which is where Mama Cedar is now. Yes, so, yes. So it was a bar on the top of Collins Street. Right. Um, at that time, Collins Street was a ghost town. It was really, really sort of quiet end of town. Yes. Much like Flinders Lane, really. Yeah. Um, you know, at that time, Cumulus had opened up and went gangbusters, but prior to Cumulus, there was really Movita down in Hosier Lane. Mm-hmm. There was Ciccone's, the old stalwart, yep. you know, fantastic, yep. amazing Italian restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um there wasn't a whole lot else. There was Rosati's that had its sort of time in the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, there, there wasn't a whole lot happening in Flinders Lane. Mm-hmm. So Cumulus opened. Uh, just, you know, have, uh, the, the way that place opened and the way it operated and the queues they used to have every single night was just incredible to watch. Yeah. Um, so I learned a lot working with those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, as I say, I went over to do this consultancy on this bar to try and sort of turn it around and just, you know, look at some improvements. Yeah. Uh, and I was only meant to be there for a month Right. Before I was going to head back to New York City, uh-huh. um, in that time a couple of things happened. I met a girl who's now my wife and mother of our two kids. Always away, <laughs> always <laughs> away. <laughs> uh, but also, I while I was doing this consultancy gig, I just I just started mucking around with a business plan for a Mexican restaurant in Melbourne because I was looking around Australia, going, "Why is there no? Yeah, there really there wasn't really any modern Mexican or well yes. authentic, I should say, more authentic style Mexican." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a place called Los Amates on Johnson Street, mm-hmm. um, which was very authentic. Yes. Uh, very specifically regional as well. Was, right, okay. You know, Mexico is one of those countries, a bit like, I guess, a lot of countries, but I, I travelled a bit in India and what blew me away in India is everywhere you go from city to city, the cuisine can be really different. Really different, right? Mm. Yeah, and it's the same in Mexico. So mm-hmm. um, this restaurant, Los Amates on Johnson Street, I, I used to love it. It was very, very authentic, but it was so specific that I think it was just – Possibly too specific for the Melbourne palate. A lot of yeah. people didn't really get it. Yes. Um, there was also another restaurant called Blue Tongue, which was over in oh, St yeah. Kilda. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, they were the first ones to sort of start doing things a little bit different, like quesadillas and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But again, it was still, um, for me, it sort of, I, I just wanted to do something a bit broader and a bit more open and a bit more, I guess, in line with the Melbourne palate. So, right. um, so I started mucking around doing this. Mexican business plan. Uh, then my best mate who was living in New York City running a group over there, he was kind of um, looking for something new as well. And I said, well, why don't we do a Mexican restaurant together? So he, he flew back. Right. Uh, he'd been living in New York City f- at that stage for 10 years. Um, and after two months of looking around Melbourne, he just said, I, I, I can't do this. I've got to go back to New York City. <laughs> it was just too quiet for him. Um, right, okay. Which was funny because I remember when I first got back, you'd walk around the city in Melbourne of a night and you'd just think, where is everyone? Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I've not been to London, but I imagine it's a similar sort of vibe. It's, mm-hmm. You just get used to that onslaught of people all the time. Yes. So he went back um, and then um, one day one of the owners of the recorded music studio um, mm-hmm. came downstairs while I was working on the business plan and asked me what I was doing. I said, oh, I'm just playing around with this thing. Yes. He looked at it and got really excited by it and said, why don't we do it here? At that time... Uh, we were. I was really just sort of waiting to see what was happening with my mum and her illness. Mm-hmm. 
which all came good. So that was okay. That was, that's good. It's a great outcome. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and um, my new girlfriend and I, um, now wife, we yes. we started talking a lot about moving back to New York City. Right. As I say, I still had my apartment there. All my clothes were there. Everything was sort of set up. Yes. And then um, that conversation went on for a couple of months, and I can I kept on saying, "Look, I don't think I'm going to do it," and I kept on saying, "Let's do it." And then in the end, we just went, "Why not? Let's just maybe do it for a year." And then we'll get out of the business and we'll go back to New York City. So, Can you remember what, what point made you make that decision? Was there a significant I moment? I won't lie. It was the deal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's <You> good. Know, <laughs> it started off if the with, opportunity's you know, right. That's yeah. exactly right, you know. Yes. Um, yeah, that's what it all come down to in the end. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so um, that was probably in uh, – I'm going to say that was in like – November of 2009 mm-hmm. that we agreed to say let's do it. Okay. Um, the place, the venue then, um, so these guys had taken on this venue and got a, a licence and they wanted to turn it into like a bar with music. Right. Um, and then they had a 2am licence and they very quickly realised that they couldn't get a live music licence. So they'd sort of operated this thing and tried to turn it into a bit of a cafe and a bit of a bar. Right. They pretty much had like a very, very basic kitchen set up yes. um, and were doing sort of pressed sandwiches and a few salads and whatnot. Right. Uh, trying to figure out what they were going to do. So we, um, they'd had the place for a few years and didn't really want to throw any more money at it and I sure. didn't have a whole lot of money either. So yep. we, we ended up, we set the whole restaurant up um, with new furniture, new tables, new bonquet seating and a kitchen in place for 120 grand, which – wow. You just couldn't do these no, days, really, you know. But yeah. we also just – we didn't have the money, so we had to get creative. And yep. um, so we set it up and, and set it up quite minimally. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the look is – I wanted to create a space that was really contemporary Melbourne, not like a place you'd expect a Mexican restaurant to look like. Yeah, sure. Um, but that was also because, yeah, we just didn't have the cash to throw a lot of design <laughs> at it. <laughs> yes. Um, so m- myself and uh, one of my mates at the time, his wife was a studying architect. Her and I sort of designed it together and right. with very little coin we threw it together and then um, did a soft opening uh, sort of very early 2010. Yep. And, yeah, by the start of Feb we were open. So we kind of made a decision in November and three months later we were open, up, right. and, up and running. Yeah. How did the soft opening go? What did you do? Have family and friends? Yeah, or did we, you just, have we just invited a whole lot of mates. So yeah, right. We, we invited about 60 friends. Um, and that was great. Like uh, a lot of those guys had never tried that style of food before as well. Mm-hmm. And so they were all pretty blown away and yeah. really excited. Um, yes. And then the next night we opened and uh, we opened the doors and there was myself on the door. I think we had two on the floor, one in the bar and probably three in the kitchen. Right. And uh, we opened the doors and about sort of 10 minutes in, my bartender looked at me and said, oh, someone's ordered a fresh orange juice. And we only had two tables in the restaurant. And I said, I said, okay, what's the problem? And he said, we don't have a juicer. And I went, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, we forgot that little detail. You know. So I ran behind the bar with him and I said, oh, which table is it? Mm. Out of the two in the restaurant. And he pointed to the table and I looked over and it was Nina Rosso. Who was oh, a, wow. Who was, um, you know, Nina was, is, is a, an amazing food writer. Yes. Um, and she was writing for The Age at the time and yes. was, you know, like the food writer for The Age. Mm-hmm. And I looked across at her and I just went, oh, my God. <laughs> so, so we quickly grabbed a fork and we both stuck it into the orange and just started <laughs> sort of hand-squeezing this orange juice. And then we ran it over to her and um, the whole time I was just thinking, who comes on your first night to do a review? 
you know. Yes. And and yeah. I, I had heard that she'd be reviewing us, but didn't realise it was going to be on a first night. Right. So on the way out the door, I caught her at the bottom of the stairs, and I said, "So Nina," and she went, "Oh, I've given it away." And I said, "Yeah, well, you have." <laughs> I said, partly because I know who you are and partly I heard that you were heavily pregnant. And she said, well, that's why I've had to come in. Like She was about to give birth literally that week. Right. right. And she okay. said, I just want to get this in. Oh, so that's why she did it. Right. Yeah, I see. Yeah. So right. she couldn't have been more lovely at the door right. and apologised and whatnot. And she just said, look, honestly, you've got nothing to worry about. It was amazing. So mm. that sort of put my mind at ease a bit. Yeah, right. Uh, and then a couple of days later, we got a review in the um, the, the Age, Good Food Guide. Mm-hmm. Um Sorry, Age Good Food. And it was um, it just said the the perfect premiere was the the title. Wow. And it was a really glowing review. So wow. um, from that minute on, we just it just went exploded and the rest, from that is, rest one, is history. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. I, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. What was what was was the <coughs> feedback from people like what you would expect? Like obviously you had pulled together a menu and a style that as you said at the start was largely very different to what was happening in the Melbourne scene. Like mm. you I would imagine that you were anticipating that customers would go, wow, like this is, you know, this is fantastic. But obviously if you've got, from what I've heard at that time, like massive lines around the block to get in this venue, like were you surprised by how much the Melbourne Society actually loved what Mama Cedar was? Oh, we were completely, completely blown away. Um, yeah. Look, we, you know, we very intentionally did this whole, we're not doing nachos, we're not serving Corona, we're not yeah. like, we yeah. really wanted to, we, we, we really spoke a lot about what we weren't yeah, going, right. going to be. Yes. Um, which, you know, in hindsight had its pros and cons, mm. um, but we just kind of wanted to go, we're really authentic and we're going to be this and we're going to be that. And it's funny when I look back at it, so Jace Jones, who was the head chef that I did it with at the time, mm. mm-hmm. um, Jace had never been to Mexico. Um, right. Didn't know anything about Mexican food. Um, the space we're sitting in now, Hotel Jesus, yes. uh, he actually used to live out the back here in an apartment. This is how I discovered this space. Wow. And we spent um, – we'd met in Byron years before. He was a head chef of a place called The Balcony up there and I had a restaurant in, up in Mullumbimby. Right. Um, and we'd met there and we had become mates, but not great mates. We'd met a few times through some other people. Okay. And so when I was looking to do the Mama Cedar thing, I didn't have a chef in mind. Um, right. And I was talking to Andrew McConnell a bit because he'd spent time in Chicago and knew a bit about Mexican food. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was trying to say, come on, Andrew, let's do it. But, you know, he had bigger fish to fry. Um, um, you know, than starting a Mexican restaurant. Um, uh, and so I, I didn't have a chef and then I eventually had heard that Jace was back in Melbourne, heard that he'd been, um, head chef of a place called Orange, which was a cafe in Windsor that was really an amazing place at the time as well. Yeah. And hit him up and said, look, this is what I want to do. Do you want to do it? And, and. If you don't know Jace, Jace is one of those guys, he's just a go-getter. You know, mm-hmm. he just he loves a new challenge, loves to put himself in outside of his comfort zone. Yeah. So we um we spent a bit of time in this apartment out the back of here. Um because right. I kind of I know I know food, I, I and I know Mexican food quite yes. well. Like I did at that point, I'd, I'd spent time living in Mexico after working for this group as well. What? Um or or in between. Yes. Um and so I knew what it should look like and taste like and he knew how to cook. Right. Um I guess, again, in hindsight, the beauty of it is I wanted it to be really authentic. Yes. He didn't – we didn't really know authentic recipes and how to put them together. Yeah. You know, they're not something you can read out of a book and do. Mm. You know, you really have to have the tradition of it being passed down from family to family and all that sort of thing. Yes. You know, I think a lot of people think tacos are really easy and you just come up with something and smash them out. But to make them really well, it's 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 a lot of inside knowledge and, mm. you know. Understanding. Yeah, and yeah. handover of techniques and tricks and all that right, kind of stuff. Right, okay, yep. So the menu he put together, I wrote, I wrote the menu 
and then he did his interpretation of what I wrote and right. we came up with this. I guess when I look back at it, it was like an Aussie-Mexican. Right. View, it's like a know? hybrid. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, and the only way I think that we got away with calling ourselves authentic was that we used soft tortillas instead of crunchy ones. Right. <laughs> so I think for most people, they were like, oh, they're not crunchy. It must be authentic. But, you know, right. Mexicans coming in were sort of probably going, well, there's nothing authentic about this at all. But it tastes good. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, so, again, in hindsight, that was probably perfect because had we been more authentic than that, maybe it wouldn't have been nearly the success that it, that it was. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was interesting too because no one made soft tortillas in Melbourne. There was a, mm. a lady called Muddy Diaz up in Sydney, so we used mm-hmm. to get them flown down every day. Wow. Um, a lot of the ingredients weren't really ready, readily available. Yep. In Melbourne we had to source things or import things. Mezcal tequilas were going over there and filling up our backpacks and bringing them back through. Um, <laughs> there was a lot, you know, in true sense of the Mexican word, there was a bit of, <laughs> bit of sneakery going on to get the, yes. the right ingredients and the right products. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what about the agave spirits and, and that kind of stuff? Like how that – what was people's take on that when you first opened? Did they um, understand it? Uh, there was a lot of, you know, we want some lemon and salt. And, and again, right. again, that was one of those, no, that's not what we are. Yes. Um, my attitude to all that's changed a lot over the years. Now I'm like just give people what they want. Don't try and force education down their throat. But Right. But I think back then probably being a bit younger and a bit more bravado and also having the – like we could be that. Because yes. there was no other, yeah. no one else doing it, yeah. you know. We could sort of go, this is who we are and this is what we're doing. Mm. Um, yeah, so we didn't, we didn't, if people would ask for that, rather than say no, we'd say, look, how about you try it with this? And mm-hmm. so when we first started serving Blanco Tequila, we served it with the Sangrita. Yes. A Sangrita is a concoction of, it's basically like a red salsa with clamato mm-hmm. tomato juice. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that because um, Blanco is a very young expression of agave, mm-hmm. uh, when you have it with a sangrita, it brings out a lot of the tasting notes from the agave. Right. So you meant to sit between the two. Mm-hmm. So it didn't really matter. So people would go, I want lemon and salt. And we'd go, how about you try this instead? And they'd have that and go, oh, wow, that was amazing. Yeah, you know, right. like, I think if you can, if people come in wanting something and you can convert that experience into something that they haven't tried before and they walk out having learnt something yeah. in a way that um, is done uh, – in a humble way, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, not sort of saying this is the better way, but why don't you try it? Yes. Then I think people walk away going, we didn't just go out for dinner. We came out with a, with a whole experience. Yeah we, yeah, we really understand that brand and what they're actually, you know, actually yeah. doing, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm. So we, we took that steps further in the years to follow. So when we first opened, we were predominantly a tequila bar. Mm-hmm. Um, we only said it had 100% blue agave tequilas. Yes. Um, and again, prior to that, so tequila can be called tequila as long as it's got 51% agave in it. Right. 49% of that can be sugar. Right. And that's all the tequila that we all grew up in on mm-hmm. and drunk mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. wake up with terrible hangovers and yep. whatnot. Hence why. That's right. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Pure tequila though, you, you don't get that because it's, right. no, it's got none of those sugars in it. So yeah. it's, um, it is 100% from the agave plant and, yeah, right. and, and the flavour, the taste, the after effects, the whole experience is completely different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people – didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, we also brought in a few tequilas that had a, had much more sort of a, a vanilla and a caramel note around them and we'd often use those tequilas to first introduce people to it. Right. Because uh, they tasted a little bit more like a whiskey or something that right. they were more familiar with. Yeah, fair enough. Um, we're also really lucky in um, the team that I had when we first launched was just the dream team. I had um, uh, had a guy named Hugo who owns Little Hop down mm-hmm. on Brunswick Street Fitzroy. Mm-hmm. Hugo had been – he was one of the head bartenders at Cookie – just yeah, before right. that, and Cookie was the place, yeah, you know, when so we opened Mamacita. Um, yeah. And Hugo didn't 
know much about the world of tequila and agave distillates back then and yep. really embraced it, really got into it. So he was a fantastic person to have behind the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, we had uh, – all, all the team really got into it. It was a bit like me. Like yeah. I got so blown away by this new product mm. that the team we pulled together, we're all hospo mates. We'd all worked around Melbourne for a long time and then – you know, we kind of got them all together and said, hey, this is what we're going to do. And everyone everyone was equally as excited about it because it was just something so new at the time. Yes. So having that energy on the floor and behind the bar was just brilliant. Yeah. You know? so, um, that's the one thing I really remember the most about that first year. The, the best feedback I got was just how awesome the staff were. Yeah, right. Which is so key. Yeah. Um, and then over time we, we took that further and further. So um, six months into the business, uh, a guy named Nick Peters came on. Uh, as the assistant manager, um, mm-hmm. Nick had worked with an, a really old mate of mine at a nightclub called One Six One. Oh yeah, um, and other places we kind of had mutual friends. So mm-hmm. he came along, got involved in the business, and then uh, about a uh, probably a couple of years in, um, we were just trying to find. Uh, well, Nick became a partner uh, by that stage, and yeah, then right. we were trying to find our positions within the business, what our roles were going to be, mm-hmm. and. Um, so he went off and did a uh, Mezcalier training course over in Mexico, which is mm-hmm. a bit like a SOM similar okay. course, right? Mm-hmm. So he came back with the certification of being the only Mezcalier, trained Mezcalier in Australia. Um, wow. And we started a Mezcalier program at Mamacita. Wow. So what that meant was that, um, you know, a lot of restaurants will have a sommelier on the floor that yes. around talks about wine. Well, we had Mezcaliers trained up uh, that would do their certification to then walk around the room and teach people, talk to people about tequila and and all the different agave spirits. Wow. Um, and so that became a thing where we trained a group of the staff, but we also opened that up to the public. So we'd have Mescalier trainings and we'd often have 40 people in the room, you know, we'd do it on a time when we weren't open. Yeah. Or in between lunch and dinner on a Saturday. And right. um, and Nick and myself and others, um, Lewis, has, who's the GM now, has been for some time, who's an encyclopedia of knowledge on all things agave. <laughs> yes. Uh, that we'd do these training sessions, which would be for our staff, but also whoever wanted to come and attend. Um, wow. And that really, I think that really set things apart a bit. You know, there was yeah. no one else doing like by that stage too. Mexican restaurants were opening up left, right, and center. Yeah, yeah. So we were just trying to continually look for things that would set us a- apart from the rest, and, yeah, and, right. and to try and it's difficult when you're the first and and you set a bar, at, but then having the ability to keep raising that bar is is the, I guess the biggest challenge. So did you think that loyalty was a big part of the success at the start? Obviously, you're, you're, you're having these customers who are coming in and getting this education piece both from in-store, you know, in-restaurant experience but also mm-hmm. these, you know, Saturday trainings and that kind of stuff and then and then you're continually having a conversation with them and then you're obviously training your staff really well as well so then they're delivering on a great customer experience consistently as well. Like, Was it all just about loyalty with everyone who was coming into connection with the brand? I guess unintentionally. Yeah. Like it was not, we didn't. It it wasn't part of the process, obviously. No, we didn't sit down and go, all right, what's our loyalty strategy? Let's work something out. It was just what we did because we loved it. Um, Yeah, okay. Bottom line. And we also at that time, uh, so when we first opened, we used to have the taco, we'd we'd have the full menu available till 11 p.m. and then we'd have uh, a taqueria menu basically tacos because yeah. it is open until 2am. Wow. Um, we also opened with, um, we had uh, turntables behind the bar and yeah. DJs that would play sort of three, four nights a week and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so I was trying to I was trying to bridge that gap of it's a restaurant that turns into a bar, et cetera, yes. et cetera. Yeah. And we really wanted to focus in making it a hospitality place. Mm. So we used to get a lot of the hospo workers mm-hmm. around the city that would finish their shifts at 11pm that would come in 
and drink tequila and eat tacos till two in the morning. Um, and I guess that's how that fed into yeah. itself because they'd come in in the afternoon, they'd do the course, they'd do the training, yep. and then, you know, one night after work they'd go, oh, yeah, let's go back there and drink some more tequila that we've learned about last week. So, that's really sick. So, yeah, that worked really well. It was yeah. great. Yeah. How have you seen – what are the couple of big things you've seen that's changed in the hospitality industry in the last sort of 10 or 11 years since you've opened the brand? Like, do you, do you think – Part of what Mama Cedar was doing back in 2010 was really showcasing what some brands are doing now and you sort of built a bit of a movement there. Like, what are you seeing some of the changes? Uh, yeah, look, I guess so. I mean, there's some exceptional um, Mexican brands out there now. Um, mm. uh, I think it's come a long way. Like, I think when we first opened, quite a few opened up. Mm. Um, and it's funny, like, I feel like... Uh, I, I don't want to sound um, arrogant or whatever in this way, but I feel like when we first opened and then a lot of restaurants opened up doing kind of the same story as us. Yes. Whereas I don't feel that's the case anymore. I think it's really evolved. Right. You know, there's some exceptional uh, – there's uh, Tequito down in Carlton. Mm-hmm. Um, they do, I think what they're doing is fantastic, really, really mm-hmm. exceptional food, really good flavours and whatnot. Yes. Um, you've got Todd's Place down the road here, Tortas and Tacos, you know, which mm. is kind of um, – one of those things I would love to have done at the start rather than – and what I considered doing at the start rather than a restaurant because I didn't have the money to do a big scale sure. restaurant. And that's, you know, like you walk up and it's a taco cart on the street and that's really what you're getting in Mexico. And mm-hmm. then you've got guys um, – there's a place called Maze, um, mm-hmm. Mexican street food, that's just opened in Newtown in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks amazing. They're, they're, they're a brunch place, place at the moment and the food they're doing is very authentic with a really nice modern sort of – uh, aesthetic to it. Yeah, right. Uh, and then you've got the boys at um, Tequila Mockingboard and Esteban up in Sydney. Um, you know, they're doing really forward-thinking Mexican food. So, yeah, look, I think initially there was a really big sort of let's just do tacos because they're really easy and Mama Cita's got a queue and we can open up and do tacos and we'll be busy as well. Yes. I think that was that happened and then, and then a lot of those ones slowly sort of faded away um, and then, you know, the good ones have stayed on. Um, another example is Mesa Verde in the mm-hmm. city. You know, mm-hmm. I love what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got the guys like Fonda who are doing, you know, something completely different, um, which totally has its market. You know, yeah. it's, um, I love what those guys do. I think that they came, th- they in a way revol- revolutionised another aspect of the whole hospitality arm, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I love it. You know, I, I, I think the more people, the more Mexican there is, the more people eat Mexican. Yes. You know, so... Uh, Which is usually only a positive thing, right? That's right, absolutely, yes. absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, like, I, again, I, I came from doing this in the States to doing this here in the States. It's like billions of them. Um, so you've just got to find your little niche and find what you do and, and deliver it well. Yeah. I remember, as I was saying to you before the podcast, um, you know, I worked for Grilled for a long period of time, mm. and especially in the time when you, like, when I started with them, like, a couple of years after you guys started and opened, and I remembered... They used to fly us down the best sort of managers. Um, well, I was lucky to be one of the best um, okay. in the country and come down to Melbourne and, and see what real hospitality was because we were moving to a different level mm. of hospitality in that sort of QSR burger space and we wanted to move into sort of fast casual, you know, premium fast casual um, restaurants and stuff. And like yours was one of the ones that I got invited to with a couple of oh, other managers nice. and stuff. Great. And I just remember being blown away, completely blown away that night about how – just incredible, like the service was, the attention to detail, the knowledge, um, as well as the product. Yeah, but it, but it was the experience that you know that really um, that really formulated that. Mm. And I want to understand from your perspective because I found that 
like a lot of venues that are on a second level or a third level, if if you ever have to get a customer to go upstairs, it's it's unless you have to be destinational. Yeah, it seems to be a lot harder if you're not at street level. Yeah, um, to make it work. Sure. Like, how have you made sure that you know over ten or eleven years, Matt, that you've you've created a brand that people continually want to come back to and want to um, and want to experience all the time, like to. To have that experience for such a consistent long period of time must have been a real challenge. Yeah, it has been. Um, and again, as we touched on before we started the podcast, mm. I think we were really lucky. You know, mm. I, I really do. I mean, I, I think the timing was everything. It's um, and I think I think we offered something other than just Mexican food because I, I don't think our Mexican food's the best in Australia. Like I I, mm. I don't like I, I think the Mexican food's really really good. But I think Mama said is very much about the entire experience, as you say. Like yeah. you sort of yeah. You go up, you know, you, you rock up to a 7-Eleven and there's a little door and you walk up these dodgy stairs and all of a sudden you're in this room that's got this energy of, yes. you know, it's vibrant and it's exciting and, mm. all, that, and all that kind of stuff. So, mm. you know, you have that sensation before you've even put some food in your mouth. So yes. I, I think it's more than, than just that. It's It really is the whole package. Um, mm. As far as how do you maintain that, um, I think you've just got to keep adding to the offer. Yes. You know, that's the way. If you become sort of stagnant and complacent, then things wither away and die. So... Uh, I guess the way we've worked on doing that is when we first opened, we were very much a street food restaurant. Right. And that's what we pitched ourselves at, right. you know. Um, uh, we also were quite a different experience for, at like forgetting the whole Mexican thing, putting that to the side for a second. Just mm. as a restaurant, we were quite different. So, mm. ag- again, I remember when I first got back from the States, I found that restaurants were either fine dining or yes. the, although a cafes, there was there wasn't <laughs> wasn't anything in between. There really wasn't. You yeah. Know? Um, and I think when I started at Cumulus, um, that was kind of in between. Like mm-hmm. it didn't have you know linen on the tables and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. It was loud. It was bustling. Um, it was incredibly busy. Like yeah. just a machine of a of a business. <laughs> uh, the food was excellent. The service was excellent. Mm. Um, and I think that they kind of started that movement and, and Movita to be fair as well in a yep, way, you yep, know. Um, yep. But both of those places, I loved those places, but I couldn't, you know, as a, oh, I think I was, what was I, 30 something, 31 or something then, and working in hospital, I couldn't afford to go out to those places, Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. E- even once a week. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't work, walk out with at least spending 150 bucks, 200 bucks, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to create something that, had really good food, had really good service, was a really exciting, bustling place, but was more accessible and approachable yep. from, a, I guess, from your wallet point of view. Yes. Um, so we sort of set out to, we wanted to hit a target of about 50 bucks a head check spend in okay. of, of food and drink. Yep. And we kind of sat on that for the first few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so our our place had to be a numbers game. Yep. Um, it was why we couldn't take reservations. We we're only an 80-seater restaurant. Yes. Uh, I think there was a... Um, a lot of people didn't understand that and a lot of people got really annoyed by that, mm-hmm. um, that we didn't do reservations. But there's no way we would have survived as an 80-seater restaurant doing reservations at 50 bucks a head. Like you do the math and on, on what that means revenue-wise versus the rent and the running expenses and everything else and then it just wouldn't have been sustainable. Yes. Um, and the other thing I really learned in New York City is queues bring queues. <laughs> yes. You know? Yes. New York City, they're the king of it. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, all the places that have a queue, like you don't even know what you're lining up for half the time. You see a queue <laughs> and you jump on the end of it. You know, it's, it's really – It's got to be good if there's a queue there. That's right. Yeah, and yeah, that's, yeah. and that's um, you know, as far as a marketing tool, that's the marketing tool. So, mm. um, yeah, it was completely and utterly nuts those first, I'm going to say, five, six years of Mama Seda when – I would start work at 5 p.m. and I wouldn't walk into the restaurant 
for the first time until about nine o'clock at night, my whole first four hours of the shift were spent out on the street just taking names and numbers and wow. saying to people, look, it's going to be a three-hour wait. And they'd go, yeah, yeah, no worries. We'll put our name down and they'd come back. And it was just wow. like <laughs> just bizarre. <laughs> um, yeah, really bizarre. But, yeah, look, getting back to the point of how you, how you maintain that. Um, so, yeah, we started out as a very much a street food restaurant mm. and what we've – what um, my mission statement for Mama Cita has always been is to mimic uh, Mexico City. Not yeah. Mexico as a whole. It's too, yes. it's too challenging, but Mexico yeah. City. So when we launched, um, Mexico City was all about tacos and street food. Yeah. You know, even the, like the cool sort of young kids that were opening up places in Mexico City where it was, they were really like, they were street style, style mm-hmm. places. Mm-hmm. And over the last five years, and, and, and again, 10 years ago, um, I know a lot of the really, really good Mexican chefs would leave Mexico. They'd go work in the States. They'd go to a lot of their training in places like Chicago and New York City and, mm-hmm. and California as a whole. And then f- it feels like five years ago in Mexico, they all, Mexico City, they all started to come back to their homeland and yeah, started right. opening up these incredible modern Mexican restaurants. Mm-hmm. And I think Enrique uh, Olvera has got a fair bit to do with that. You know, he opened up Puyol. Mm-hmm. which quickly became one of the world's best restaurants. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I think a lot of other Mexican chefs realised, hey, there's an appetite for this back in our hometown. We don't yes. have to be elsewhere. Yep. Um, so over the last five years, there's been this massive movement in Mexico of really modern Mexican food that's kind of a bit more upmarket. Mm-hmm. And that's where we've been playing to in the last few years. So yeah, right. we, we opened up as this street food restaurant. Then all of a sudden, all these other street food restaurants opened up in Melbourne. And the last few years, we've just been going, no, we need to elevate this offer, mm-hmm. particularly now since COVID. You know, yeah, that, of course. That was the one big thing for us. We, Mama said it was a numbers game. You know, mm-hmm. we used to do 500 covers a night, um, but that took five sittings a night, you know, more. Wow. Um, and that was really, really hard going as now. You know, we're lucky to do – we do two sittings now mm-hmm. since, since COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the offer, we, we, we slowed things down now. We want mm-hmm. people to stay longer. We want the offer to be more elevated. We want the dining experience to be more elevated. We've gone back to uniforms. We've gone back to linen napkins. We've done a complete yeah. 180 on where we were from when we first opened. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's, um, but again, it's because I think you've got to revolve. Yeah. Like if we, if we just stayed what we were doing 10 years ago, like there's a hundred restaurants in Melbourne doing that now. Sure. Yeah. It's evolution or revolution, right? That's right. Um, I want to get into the COVID stuff in a minute. Mm. A burning question for me is like, you're talking about this brand where you're, you know, you're out in the street for three hours, you know, getting people to come back in and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm sure that sort of died down a bit. But, but every time I've been to Mama Cedar, it's busy as hell. Mm. Is there a reason why you haven't done a second Mama Cedar or a third Mama Cedar? Is mm. did you just want to keep the one intrinsic experience and have that as being, you know, the brand hero? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I guess there's a couple of things. We opened up Mama Cedar and my wife and I got pregnant uh, within the first two months of opening and, right. then, and then we had a couple of kids. Yes. Um, so that, you know, that, that takes up some time and I wanted of course. to be really to be present for all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I'm not really into the, like, brand upon brand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some restaurants do it, some places do it really, really well. Mm-hmm. I, I personally, it's not that I'm not into it. I just don't know if I'm good enough at it. Right. You know, I don't yeah. know if I'm, I'm that type of person that can be overseeing three or four venues in three or four different locations. Sure. And doing that well. I could yeah. probably just hire someone to do that job for me for sure. Um, sure. It's not just me. I've got partners in the, in the business too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, look, uh, I had some partners in the early stages and they've since changed. They got bought out by some other business partners a few years ago. And mm-hmm. I think my earlier partners would love to have seen that happen and seen more. Mm-hmm. But I was the only one involved in the business. Right. Um, and I just, 
I just didn't have the space for it personally. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. Yeah. It's hard when you're controlling a really great experience to then go and do that in a second or third venue, right? And yeah. Then, and then continue that same high expectation that I'm sure you would have had for yep. for Collins Street. That's right. Yep. Um, you just touched on COVID then. Mm. Um, it's been really interesting to see um, – Melbourne brands, obviously, which, which was hit with a hit with a, a really hard uh, lockdown period in 2020, um, and and great experience led brands like yourself who have who have survived that time, who have who have done okay during that time. Do you want to talk about how you guys did survive that time, and and you're still standing and still evolutionary in the brand, and and what you're looking forward to in sure. 2021 for the brand? Sure. Uh, so yeah, COVID was tough. Yeah, <laughs> like anyone will say. Um, mm. Yeah. So initially, we just closed down Mamacita, um, and we well, in effect, Mamacita was closed for nine months. Um, wow. Of, of COVID, uh, we considered doing a takeaway offer out of there in the city. Yes. Um, but I was in the city working quite a bit, Sean. Uh, I was in there most days, um, and it was just an absolute ghost town. And there was, it felt like there was no one really living in the city. Yeah. Um, a lot we, of international students are gone. A lot of international students were gone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we, we weren't sure on what sort of whether that would even be viable doing that. Um, I should also mention we, we lost our entire kitchen team. So our enchi- entire kitchen team were international. Right. Wow. So not one of them was supported. Uh, so we lost our head chef, our sous chef, the, the, whole, the whole team. Wow. Um, we, for, the, for the first couple of months we paid a few of them um, just out of our own pocket because we kind of kept on thinking, yeah, surely they're going to – Get yeah, there's support. a break to this. The support's going to yeah. come. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, uh, you know, you guys are some, a lot of you guys are visa holders or you're sponsored. You've been paying taxes. Surely, surely, surely. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I think it was about two months in or three months in, we realised that the support wasn't coming, and we mm. had to just say to them, "Look, guys, we can't afford to keep paying you, and um, you know, we're, we're not sure where to go." Um, so a lot of them sort of half of them went home, and and half of them went and found other things. Right. Uh, so that was really, really tough. Um, yeah, we also um, consolidated – so we did like a hybrid takeaway offer out of Hotel Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. There was like a Mama Cedar and Hotel Jesus mm-hmm. operation. Mm-hmm. Um, so we sort of consolidated the, the two teams of staff into the one venue, which we right. did over here in Collingwood. Yes. Um, and then um, about uh, probably – I'm going to say about four months in or five months in, Shane Dealey hit me up and said, you guys want to jump on Providor? Yep. Um, which we really wanted to, um, but we just had the one menu rolling out of Hotel Jesus and it yep. really was a Hotel Jesus menu. Right. Um, and Shane wanted a, a Mamacita menu. So yep. we didn't have that up and running at that point, uh, but we we're about to launch um, Mamacita on tour, mm-hmm. which is which is a thing that we ended up doing that's cool. kind of saved our ass. Yeah, right. Um, so that was um, – uh, there was a few other restaurants doing a similar thing. I guess the most notable one was the guys from Mr Miyagi. Yes. And they did that really, really, really well. Really, really well. It was incredible to watch. Mm-hmm. So we jumped onto that pretty quickly after yep. seeing those guys um, and um, we started doing these like essentially the same thing, pop-ups out in out yep. the suburbs where it was a pre-order thing. Yes. And they went nuts. Yeah. Um, uh, we had, Are you surprised how nuts they went? Oh, we were blown away. It was incredible. It was incredible. We were doing sort of um, 150 to 200 covers a night. Um, you know, it was like 12 pickups every 15 minutes uh, for about three hours where people just pay their banquet prices, come in and – uh, and take it all home. But we we tried to curate that Marmoseta experience as much as we could mm. for them. So we did like a Marmoseta QR code that had a link to our Marmoseta playlist and whatnot. So Yeah, nice. Um, and had like instruction sheets on how to put everything together. And the first thing was, you know, get home, upload Spotify, get yes. Marmoseta music into your living room. That's sick. You know, and um, we got really, really good feedback on that. Yeah. We had one horrendous night um, out in Mordialic where things <laughs> just didn't go to plan. We had issues with 
all sorts of issues left, right and centre. It was a right. debacle. But, um, <laughs> but you got through it. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a bit of flack back on that one. But right. o- other than that, that was that was our only sort of mishap. Mm. Other than that, they, they all seemed to go really, really well. We had right. some amazing experiences yep. um, with most of them. Yep. Um, so we were doing um, takeaway delivery out of Hotel Jesus and then we were doing these pop-ups on Friday, Saturday nights. Right. But essentially we were doing it all out of – Hotel Jesus, like we're prepping the yep. food here and the yep. whole bit. Right. And then uh, once we got that going and we had a menu for the Mama Cedar pop-ups, then I gave Shane a call back and said, oh, great, we've got a menu now, we can do prop at all. Mm-hmm. So we started doing the two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, very quickly we found we couldn't do it out of Hotel Jesus. So we went and, and some um, our business partners have got another restaurant in the city. So we went and used their space and their kitchen. Right. So we moved our whole operation across to there and that's Gosh. where we did prop at all and the Mama Cedar on tour pop-ups from. Uh, and we did that for um, we did that for probably three months. I'm going to say, yeah, four months, yeah. Uh, and that really saved us. How did you How did you handle all that change during that time, Matt? Um, I mean, that's a lot, right? Like you're talking yeah. about. Okay, well, you would have had a lot of people going. Okay, we want you to pop up in this area or this area, this area. You've got to have a gut feel about if Mama Cedar on tour is going to work in that particular right. yeah. that particular suburb. Yeah, and you've done it here at Hotel Hezus. Yeah, and then it's grown. Yeah, and then you've decided no, 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 no. Well, we need to make sure we focus on hotels in the in the actual venue itself, and then move across town mm. and move all these ingredients and move all this operation. Right? Mm. How are you doing that as a plus? You're in the city yourself, mm. seeing this cataclysmic failure. Oh, the city was bizarre. that was the city yeah. right yeah. during those yeah. period of time during 2020. Yeah. How did how were you managing that yourself? Uh with the brand. Yeah, look, it was really tough. Um, uh, I also had the kids at home and I was homeschooling them because my yeah. wife had just got a full-time contract like a month before COVID hit. Thank right. God. Thank God. Yes. Um, because yeah. I ended up on uh, JobKeeper like all the rest mm-hmm. of the staff. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that saw us through. But that was, you know, so I was sort of homeschooling them during the day and then doing this stuff at night. Um, yeah, it was intense. I've, I've never worked that hard in my life. It's It's definitely been the toughest year of my life. But I know that there's a million of more of me out there who would say the same. Yeah. Um, I think there was a few things that really got me through. So one was um, uh, part of the Mama Cedar group now is owned by 100 Burgers. 100 mm-hmm. Burgers um, are a hospitality brand or group that own quite a few venues. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were catching up once a week on Zoom. Okay. Um, and that was myself and the venue managers or, or department heads of all their other entities. Yep. And that support was incredible. Like yeah. we just really, once a week we'd all just catch up and just talk about what were happening, was happening in our venues and what was happening with our staff. And mm. be, I, I guess a big part of that conversation was mental health, not just for ourselves, but all the staff and whatnot. Um, mm. So that, that was fantastic. I also had a couple of other mates in hospitality that I was catching up with, you know, once yep. a week or once every couple of weeks, um, yep. a few other restaurant owner friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what it really, yeah, like the, the way that the community branded together through that stage was incredible because we've never really done that. Like, no, it's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, we all kind of know each other and we see each other about a bit, um, yeah. but that really formed some really strong friendships, which was great. Mm. So that was really supportive. Um, and my staff were amazing. Like, you know, uh, not one of them signed on for any of this. Like I had guys that, you know, had been working the floor at Mama Cita for, for the last five or six years mm-hmm. or Mez Calliers and, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. you know, who were doing – dishwashing nights here while we're doing drive-around takeaways and, you know, like every, everyone just had to go, all right, I have no title anymore. Yeah. We're, all, we're all just part of a team and we all just sure. pull together and, and, and do what we have to do. Um, you know, I myself was driving, uh, doing home deliveries sort of four nights a week um, 
and that was the same as uh, Luis, my restaurant manager at Mamacita, um, mainly because out of – so we went from something like 70 staff down to 12 or something. Wow. Um, uh, but none of our staff had licences. <laughs> <laughs> No one has a licence or no one drives a car. It was amazing. Like wow. We'd never really thought about it until we needed to. Yes, so right. it was really only three or four of us that could do the delivery. So we're all doing it every night. Um, How humbling was that? Yeah, very. <laughs> it really was. I, I remember saying to my wife, the first couple of nights was sort of fun and yes. it was really novel and I was, you know, and I was doing a lot of delivery. I live in Northcote and there was a lot yeah. of people in Northcote supporting us and whatnot. So I was doing, yeah. rocking up at people's doors and I was meeting people in my community going and they'd be like, oh, my son goes to school with your son and, you know. Oh, that, that's lovely. So that was lovely, mm. but it got tired pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> in the sense of Up just to, driving around, yes. just going, yeah. I cannot believe this is what my life has become. Yeah, yeah. So that was very humbling. Mm. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I guess just, um, yeah, support networks and, and, and my staff having my back, mm. that's what got me through. Mm. Yeah. And my wife, like, you know, without her I couldn't have done any of it. So, yeah. Do you think it's made you a stronger brand now? Um, I'm not sure. Or has it just made it different? It's yeah. Look, I I think it's been I think it's possibly been good for Hotel Jesus in yeah. Collingwood because yeah. as we all know, the suburbs did a lot better than the C- CBD. Yeah. Um, yeah. So because all of a sudden we were only doing delivery takeaway, we mm. probably got to deliver to quite a few people in these local areas that we hadn't tried our food before. Yes, and. We've come back with a bit of a bang. Collingwood's been good. It's been people are out and mm-hmm. um, as I was saying before we started the podcast, we've reduced the hours a bit. Yep. So we've just sort of consolidated everything and mm-hmm. it's it's been really healthy. It's been a, mm-hmm. a nice surprise. Mm-hmm. The city is just in the last couple of – I mean, really just the last two weekends mm-hmm. seems like it's come back to life. Yep. Um, Fridays and Saturday nights are about 80% of what they were, 70 okay. to 80% of what they were, which is really healthy. Yeah, The weeknights are really – uh, probably about 40% of what they were. Um, right. So, yeah, the city's a tough one. I think um, – I'm not sure how everyone's doing in the city, but, uh, but I know that the few friends I've got who've got restaurants, everyone's – yeah, everyone's probably 60%, 70% maybe over for the week of what they were. Okay. So that's going to be – That's, that's be, tough. That's really tough. Yeah. You know, because you, you don't have the people – as I was saying, we used to do five sittings a night at Mama Cedar. That was in the first probably five or six years. In the last few years, we'd probably do uh, three to four sittings a night, right. which is still pretty healthy. You yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. And now, like you just you don't do the five o'clock sitting, you don't do the nine o'clock sitting. You know, it's yeah, it's right. People are coming into the city mm. to support the CBD restaurants. Sure, they're not just happening to be walking around after work, having beers, going to the theatre. Like that's really dropped off. Yeah, so that's um. Yeah, hopefully that doesn't take too long to come back. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what do you think your indications are? Like, do you think do you think there needs to be a push? Like, I think the city of Melbourne largely is doing a really good job in trying to push people to come back into Amazing the city, job. and yeah. and and the state government's doing the same. And you know, obviously, this is not this is not a Melbourne centric thing. This That's is right. a worldwide thing. That's right. Dealing with CBDs across yeah. the uh, across the world. Like, are, are you just holding and hoping? And, and knowing it's going to come back and, and just doing what you guys do so well, which is a great experience, great product, be consistent and then just and just ride it through? Or are you thinking this is going to be a fundamental change in which you're thinking about your business in a different way, if I can ask you? Um, yeah, I think it's JobKeeper is going to have a massive impact, not just on hospitality but every single industry, um, as we all know. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, um, you know, all those – Businesses in the city that have the massive leaseholds on the massive floors of, mm. of you know, office buildings and whatnot can retain that stuff. And if people want to go back into work, like there's so many unknowns. Yes. 
that, um, yeah, I think it's uh, – for the moment it's hold on and wait and then uh, if it gets dire, then we need to look at strategies as to what to do there. Hmm. But, yeah, city's scary. <laughs> Very scary. Yeah. Um, I'm just glad you're still operational and still positive as we come into this meeting about talking about, you know, how the, where the venues come from and, and mm. where it is now. So I've appreciated that, Matt. Cheers. Thanks. So um, I've got one more question before I let you go, mm. as I do ask on the podcast with every single guest, mm. is what are, you, what are you looking forward to for this year, both on a personal basis and a professional basis for the venues? Uh, I guess on a professional basis, um, having – uh, again, as I said, we used to operate seven days a week at Mama Cedar and now we're doing five days a week. And yeah. that's, um, you know, it's it's that funny thing as we spoke about. Mm. It's like when you've got a business that's paying rent, my old head would have said, you know, while you're open and you're paying rent, you should be trading trading <laughs> all that time. Whereas now yeah. I'm kind of like, I don't know, I think, I think mental health's massive for a lot of people. I've seen a yeah. lot of my staff have a really hard time. I've had it, like everyone I know has had a really hard time. And I think that going back into it um, – Plus, you know, I th- think the old model was a bit broken um, yeah. for hospitality. I think that the labour model's broken, service models have been broken to a degree. Um, and I think now the beauty of having something like this happen, if you can, if there can be a beauty in it, is just to take the time out to really look at that and reassess mm-hmm. and go, do we need to open seven days? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just five and everyone works five and gets two days off a week or maybe we work towards a four-day working week and – rotating casuals and all that kind of thing. So we're, we're talking about that a lot at the moment. Sure. Um, we're also, you know, Mama said it was such a, like right up until COVID. Um, so the six months prior to COVID, we just had our best six months we'd had in five or six years. Wow. At Mama Cedar. Just, I don't know what happened. It just sort of bounced back <laughs> and we were super busy. Right. To the point where it was hard to keep up, you know. Right. We were like having um, a struggle making menu changes because we were just <laughs> so busy that you're just constantly prepping and constantly – trying to keep up with the patronage. Um, yeah. Whereas now we're, we're doing a lot more food development and that's really exciting. Mm. You know, we're, we're talking about slowing things down, slowing the service model down. Yeah. That's exciting. We're all enjoying yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I think is exciting, I guess, professionally this year is diversity. Um, yeah. You know, I think we've all thought how else do we bring revenue in other than just serving people in the restaurant. Yes. You know, so we're talking – yeah, I mean, we, we talked about cookbooks – over the years, um, that's probably not at the forefront still yet, but we are looking at more educational pieces like more masterclasses in Mezcal and tequila nice. and agave, that kind of thing, yeah. um, whether we, you know, sort of brand our own cocktails. Um, yeah, there's a few d- different things we're talking about, which is nice to be thinking about something different than just normal day-to-day trade. 100%. Yeah. Personally, um, personally, I've realised that I need to have some more hobbies in my life. So. <laughs> Um, I actually <laughs> rang a mate two weeks ago and I said, mate, I'm turning 50 this year. I want to learn wow. to surf. So uh, we've been down to Urban Surf the last um, three weeks, mm-hmm. um, which uh, has just been amazing. Um, <laughs> you know, I tried to sit, you know, I've, I've sort of said that I can surf for the last 20 years. Right, and, okay. And I, I can't surf. <laughs> um, you know, I used to go out and try and get thrown around the waves a bit. But right, okay. it's actually been awesome. Um, <laughs> so that's just something I wouldn't have done pre-COVID, you know. It's, um yeah. You know, and um, and yeah, and then I've just got the kids mountain bikes, and we're going to look at doing some more mountain biking, and yeah, just you know, personal yeah care stuff. Just get just, out and about, right? Yeah, get in the fresh air. Yep, Matt, it's been great to you know, been an honour to to listen like to the experience and 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 hear about you know such an amazing brand that I really um, that really personified what Melbourne was to me when I first came here. So I really appreciate your time today. Oh, that's awesome! Thank um, you. 
What's the best way that people can find out about Mamacita? Sure. So we've got our Instagram handle is Mamacita Melbourne. <clears throat> um, we're on, on Facebook as well and our website is www.mamacita.com.au. They're, they're probably the three major channels. Perfect. Yeah. As always, linked up in the bio of this podcast. Great. Matt Lane, thanks so much. Good on you, Sean. Thank you.